Hey, Jared, we're back. Yes, we are. And better than ever. Maybe, maybe maybe not. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast, Instagram the RushCast. It's something for nothing, Jared, the RushFanCast. Did I mention that? You haven't. I haven't. I should. Email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Jerry, the emails, I'm I'm flabbergasted. Uh, They're great. They are. Thank you so much for sending your emails. We appreciate it. It helps us make the podcast better. We're trying to do that. We're yes. trying to do that every day. I've definitely uh, fallen behind in responding. So, Have you? Yeah, just so, a little bit, a little bit. Well, if we haven't responded to your email, bear with us. Jerry eventually will get to all of you, I hope. Yeah. I Is think that I, your plan? That's my plan. And, you know, so we're sh- still sheltering in place when we're recording this. Right. So I have a lot of time on my hands and I'll get back to them. Jeffrey. Okay. Well, hopefully we're not sheltering in place when this is airing. I'm hoping. Yeah, let's hope so. So this is airing probably about what is it? Three weeks after we record this? Yes. Which so we're, would be... we're kind of behind. We're, we're recording in advance. Right. So three weeks from now is when? <laughs> You're asking me crazy questions, Jerry. I can't. We're recording this a few weeks before it yeah. actually airs. Well, my office isn't open again until I think the 1st of April. Wow. So. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, we hope all our listeners are safe out there and you're staying safe and staying healthy. And staying in your house as much as possible. Yeah. And hopefully this blows over soon. Yeah, let's hope so. The base intro on today's podcast was done by our good pal Lex. We appreciate Lex's involvement in the podcast as always. And today we've got a special treat for you. But before we get to that, we have Twitter polls. Twitter polls. We have to get a jingle or something for Twitter polls. Okay. Work on that. I will. A few weeks ago, we talked about feedback. Yes. The Rush EP of cover tunes. The EP. And with feedback, I did Twitter polls. So I did I did three Twitter polls on feedback, Jer. Right. Very right. exciting. The first one was the first four songs on feedback. Summertime Blues, Heart Full of Soul, For What It's Worth, and The Seeker. What do you think the Rush fans thought of those four choices? Their favorite? Their favorite. Uh, summertime Blues. No, it was The Seeker. Wow. The Seeker, 46% picked The Seeker. Summertime Blues got 27%. Heart Full of Soul, 19%. And for what it's worth, only 8%. For what it's worth, for what it's worth, got 8%. (laughs) I should have been on that a little quicker. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, after that, I did a poll of the next four songs. Okay. Mr. Soul, 7 and 7 Is. Shapes of Things, and Crossroads. Crossroads. Crossroads won. 61%. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so that was that was pretty easy to figure out. Mr. Soul and Shapes of Things each had 16 15%. 7 and 7 is, probably because people just don't know that song. Yeah, probably. Only got 9%, but a couple people were adamant about that is the best song on the record. Okay. So, to each his own. <laughs> no, seriously. So, And is a third, you said? Yes, three polls. So I figured since The Seeker won the first poll and Crossroads won the second poll, I'd pit them against each other. Nice. Which I did. Now, this is a tough one. What do you think? Crossroads. No. The Seeker still won. Wow. People like The Seeker. It's a very good rendition of The Seeker, for sure. It is. What's the the breakdown? 59% chose The Seeker, 42% Crossroads. And does that even add up to that 100%? That does not add up to 100%. Come on, Twitter. That adds up to 
Right? Well, yeah, Look must, at that. It, it's a rounding error. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, there were exactly 200 votes. How do you... I, come on. I don't know, ma'am. Shouldn't that work out with exactly 200 votes? We should have, we should have asked our guest. He would have been able to tell us. We should have. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. But before yeah. we get to our guest, another thing I asked on Twitter, Jer, was what song you wish Rush had covered. Remember on the podcast, we listed the songs that we wish Rush had covered. Yeah, I do. So I asked the Twitterverse what they thought. And here are the songs they came back with. Here we go. Chris Falsco at Falsco says The Real Me, which is one of my choices. Oh, yeah. And My Generation by The Who. Sure. Dennis Pupolo II, Cream's Sunshine of Your Love. Thought oh. Neil could go crazy on that one. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that too. And a Russified version of All Along the Watchtower. Oh, yeah. That would be cool yeah, too. Yeah, that would be cool. Boneworks1 on Twitter said Locomotive Breath. <laughs> locomotive Breath. Yeah. Jethro Tull, right? That's an right? interesting one, yeah. That is an interesting one. W. James Anderson says, at this point, I'll take the songs they did cover. Oh, I'm not a big what if guy. Oh, I can good. I can understand. Not that. a fan of the comic book what if. No, Jabayaka at Jabayaka on Twitter. You're you're reading it, Steve. I don't Devo. Know. We're through being cool. Oh, that would yes. have been really cool. Absolutely, would have been perfect for Rush. Yep, that's great. Marcus Edwards Bar Cygnus X One on Twitter. He said Green Menelishi oh, by Fleetwood yeah. Mac. That would be cool. We've, we've of course, heard Judas Priest do it. Right. But Rush doing it would have been interesting. Andy Courtright said, Close to the Edge, and Simon and Garfunkel's America. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting, right? And Mark Irwin chimed in with Taxman by the Beatles. Ooh, that would have been great. That would have been a great one too, right? Yeah. He thought Getty playing that bass line. Yeah, absolutely. Would have been cool, and I agree. So today on the Rush Fancast, Jerry, we've got a special treat for, for you and our listeners and me, John at Rush Graphs. If you're a Twitter person, you know him as the Rush Graphs guy. His Twitter handle is at XYYZ Graphs, and John from Rush Graphs is with us on the Rush Fancast. Welcome, John. Afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, happy to talk some Rush. Absolutely. Why don't you start by telling us how you started doing the rush graphs sure well obviously been a fan for a very long time and i'm an engineer as well and so uh do a whole lot of work with numbers and so this is kind of a happy venn diagram accident for me um <laughs> and you know I, I had the idea you know i was listening to the first night of the r40 tour and the set list reports start coming in and pretty soon you could tell, oh my goodness, this is the last tour. You could just see this was the retrospective tour. Rush was probably going to be done. And so, you know, that uh, got me thinking that, well, maybe it's a good time to start documenting all their achievements with some accuracy. And then eventually kind of with a sad sense of finality, like, oh my goodness, this, this is the complete list of tours, all the data is there. So that's how I got started. You know, I'd seen on Twitter and on the internet all kinds of other music infographics and never saw a lot of Rush. So I figured I had to change that. So uh, what was your Rush discovery story? How did you first get into Rush? What was your first album? 
Yeah, so, I mean, kind of a gradual process, you know, growing up in eastern Canada, you know, Rush was on the radio, so I'd say I kind of became a casual fan, you know, permanent waves, moving pictures, my goodness, we all heard Tom Sawyer uh, a thousand times, and uh, they didn't play Atlantic Canada very often, so I, I missed a ton of gigs in Atlantic Canada, I think they started playing Atlantic Canada in the Caress Steel Tour, you know, um, I'm 51, so permanent waves, I was 11 when they toured there. And then it kills me. I missed the whole Deer Fire Tour in 87. And then, you know, with Rush not touring Canada a lot, after 87, they didn't come back to Atlantic Canada till 2013. So, you know, didn't have, a, didn't have the opportunity to see them a lot on tour. Um, and then in high school, grade 12, friend, uh, my friend Evan loans me a cassette tape of Hold Your Fire, and that was it. So it was, uh, it was Hold Your Fire that, oh, wow. that put, the hooks in, put the hooks in deep. Now, where is Atlantic Canada? Did you say Atlantic Canada? Yep. So basically the bits of Canada between Maine and the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Next stop England. So, you know, New Brunswick, (laughs) Nova Scotia. So so what what would you say it is about Rush that kind of lends itself to these graphs? Is it just their longevity that there's so much data over time that, that makes the graphs interesting? I think, I mean, that's part of it. You look at, you look at the longevity and then I think the biggest thing is just the fan base. You look at this rabid fan base that's, you know, maniacal about Rush in every detail. And there's just, there, there was, you know, to be honest, getting started was easy. There were so many websites out there. There was so much data out there that uh, I, I think the fan base kind of made it easy. You know, Rush has such a unique fan base that, that really gets into all the details, probably too deep, but um, uh, I think that, you know, just having all that information out there and saying, oh, wow, you know, this, this is a graph, that's a graph, how can I understand this better? Now, not being, uh, you know, uh, graphically inclined, I suppose you could describe me, how do you even begin to build a graph? Like, how, where do you get the information from, and how do you decide the presentation? So I think, well, obviously none of this happens without the Internet. I got started following Rush, you know, when the internet really blossomed. Um, and so, you know, I'd say 80% of the data I'm able to pull off the internet, you know, everyone posting ticket stubs so you can get ticket prices, uh, all the tour dates that are out there, um, and then all the books that have been written about Rush. So, um, the, you know, the, obviously it starts with the data, and uh, <laughs> it's a lot of long nights typing numbers in from a lot of books. I'm uh, just starting to scratch the surface on Eric and Skip's book. Um, <laughs> there's a ton, ton of data there that's going to help me kind of finish a lot of the graphs I have half-baked. So, you know, you start with the data, and then, you know, just given my background as an engineer, we're always trying to visualize complex situations for less technical people. And so, you know, um, kind of have a training. I've, you know, been doing the engineering thing for a couple decades or more, and, you know, you're just familiar with, wow, this would – this would really look good as a, as a circular plot, or this is a, a Pareto diagram or a bar chart or a pie graph. I mean, it's uh, just comes out of doing way too many graphs in my life, I guess. Um, and then it's just trial and error. Um, a lot of the graphs I'll try three or four different ways until I find something that looks cool or that reveals something that I didn't know about Rush before. So there is a, some type of, some kind of uh, data that lends itself to a specific graph? I would say so, yep. So um, specific types of data, you know, whether it's time-based 
or you're comparing one thing to another, like when I was comparing how Neil stacks up as a lyricist to uh, whoever wrote all of Kiss's repetitive lyrics. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, different, and that's part, that's part of the fun of it, right, is finding the best way to present the data um, uh, so that it's, at the end of the day, it's beautiful and it catches your eye, and then you go, aha, check that out, that makes sense, or that resonates with my experience. And it's something that's interesting just to look at, like the comparison of Rush to Kiss would be just something fun to, to check out. Absolutely, yep. They're a lot alike, but in some ways, when it came to the lyrics, they're almost, you plot, like I plotted my 30 favorite bands on some of the lyrical uh, parameters, and like Kiss is the exact opposite of, of, of Rush, so I think that's why we love Neil. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that um, that graph. It's about unique words is that what it's about unique words so how did you put that information did you actually type in or find all the lyrics for every song yep yep so that's again that's where it starts you 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 get you get a big old microsoft word file and you get the you get the lyrics in there and then to make it really accurate you really need to parse it almost into sentences so you have to add a lot of punctuation or else you know a song lyric would just be a giant run-on sentence right and and then once you've got the data all formed up then you can start feeding it into um, different analytical engines so there's different you know sometimes it's a website you can use that'll like measure the reading level of a passage of text Mm -hmm. or do statistics like how many unique words what's the what's the longest word neil ever used so um yeah, it's all the it's all the brute force work up front, and then finding, you know, whether it's a homebrew analysis or finding a website that can help you do the analysis to pop the graph in. You know, I'm looking at the unique words graph, and what we'll do is we'll we'll tweet out all these graphs as well, uh, so our listeners can see them. I'm sure most of our listeners already follow you, John. On this particular graph, who is the artist at the very end of the graph with the most unique words, far greater than anyone else? That one I don't have in front of me, so um, oh, sorry. We'll, we'll we'll have to resolve that in a tweet to to, to follow up the podcast. <laughs> Stay tuned. Anyway, we just we decided uh, along with John just to to pick a pick a bunch of graphs to talk about, and the first one we chose was Rush's favorite and not so favorite albums to play on tour. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this one came about, John? Sure. Well, it comes out of. Uh, fact, I never got to see a motion detector. And so, um, you know, I, you know, a, a lot of these graphs come out of a question, you know, um, what were their patterns? You know, which, which albums did they rely on uh, on tour and then which ones didn't they touch? And so that graph you can see, you know, they've played all of Hemispheres, uh, Moving Pictures, Signals and Grace, and then Vapor Trails, you know, over half of it never got played. And so um, I just think, you know, thought it was interesting to see, you know, which ones did they str- either struggle to bring to the stage or they just didn't want to. And then what are the staples, you know, like 2112 and Tom Sawyer and, and the other ones that, that we all got to enjoy over and over. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, on Power Windows, there was the one song they didn't play, Emotion Detector, which sparked your idea. Yep. And Vapor Trails, I guess because it was one of their later albums, they just never got around to playing all those songs. And you could see most of... Most of the albums on the chart that are at the end are albums that were later that they just never got around to those songs. And I think later on they, you know, with the with the R30 and the R40, and you know, I think they started to take almost, you know, they really took care to play a lot of their greatest hits, quote unquote, later on in the tour. So a little less original material. 
by the time they got to R40, the average age of the songs they were playing is 28 years old. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. I'm, I'm shocked. Amazing. <laughs> now, Jerry, one, uh, one that you wanted to talk about was this Ticketmaster graph. Right. Uh, so, so, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Rush's average ticket cost over time Ticketmaster graph? Yeah, that was interesting to see. And this is where you start doing the work and then something starts to emerge and you're like, you know, A, I didn't expect it. And B, you think about it a little bit and it's like, holy cow, that totally makes sense. So this one started, you know, everyone loves posting their ticket stubs. There's mm-hmm. you know, thousands of ticket stubs on eBay that you can go and look at and buy. Um, I just download the pictures. Um, so I just started, you know, over time, because I've got this big spreadsheet of their 2000 tour dates and I just started tracking, okay, for this gig, what was the ticket price? Um, and uh, wandering the face of the earth is, is going to snow me under with all the ticket price data in that <laughs> book. But I started doing that. And then all of a sudden you notice, like, like after Vapor Trails, um, you know, when they, when, they, or no, when they came back for Vapor Trails, all of a sudden the, the ticket prices just blew up and were incredibly variable. And, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, that shows, you know, when Pearl Jam went after Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster realized, you know, we're not selling these tickets for what they're worth, for what people will pay. And that's how you ended up paying three or 400 bucks for VIP tickets on the R40 tour. So it was just interesting. There's this really tight, you know, slow inflated rise of the ticket price from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And then as soon as you get into like 98 and and beyond, Vapor Trails in 2002, I mean, you've got tickets for 40 bucks and you've got tickets for $400. So it was just neat to see how um, the band and, and the industry figured out how to um, sell every, sell the ticket for what it was worth. Is that due to scalping? Is that what the, um, the correlation is? No, these, these are the official prices. My goodness. If I, if I put, if I, if I put the cost of my, uh, my final gig ticket from LA on here, that would be way off the charts. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, is it the influence of scalpers on the ticket prices? I don't think so. I think this is the music industry. Um, cause I mean, I think, I mean, scalpers were present, you know, way, you know, way back before this, this bulge in prices happening. Yeah. So I think it's the industry just realizing, you know, and starting to sell tickets in different ways. So you're averaging the ticket cost for each particular show on each of these dots on the graph. Yep. That's the, that's the, that's the line that goes up through there. Oh, I see. Okay. So each dot is, is a ticket from a particular show or, or represents a particular show? Yep. Each dot is a gig. And so sometimes I calculate that because I know how many people attended and I know, I know what the, the billboard magazine gross sales was so I can get an average ticket price. Or sometimes I'll know, well, I've got three stubs from this date and it was 2450, 2750 and 35. So I figure out what the average was. So each, each dot is a, is a, is a single concert. Mm-hmm. And and I think later in Rush's touring history, they would set aside the first ten rows, let's say, and charge four or five hundred bucks per ticket for those first few rows. Is that correct? Yeah, and so that data that that that's captured in in uh, uh, Skip and Eric's book haven't even got that in here. So that that's the fun of it too. Is that you know almost every other day I'll see something on Twitter or find some uh, uh, find some piece of information. I got to open up the spreadsheet and go in and tap it into that one cell and close it. So this is the this is the hobby that requires constant attention. So you're you're continuously updating these graphs, some of them as as we go along. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Holy Grail is to kind of get to where, you know, you know, everything that Rush ever did. And so trying to backfill in the early days is really hard because you've got like, well, my friend's uncle's dad saw them in high school in Ontario and he thinks the ticket was three bucks. (laughs) It gets pretty hard. But as you said, skipping Eric's book's going to help you quite a bit. I mean, if you really wanted to, you could spend days and days going through that and updating this this particular graph. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> Where do you find the time, John? Oh, just just do it at night, you know. Um, <laughs> after dinner, I'll pull it up or on a Saturday morning or whenever. Um, uh, so uh, just something I enjoy doing and uh, find a... You know, sometimes it's 90 seconds to put in a piece of data, and then other times I'll have an idea for a graph, and it's a three- or four-hour haul to do the whole thing. So this is what engineers do in their spare time, at least this engineer. (laughs) Um, The next graph I want to talk about is it's a graph that shows the countries where they toured for each of their albums. And as you said earlier, mostly the United States. Yeah, I think probably about 70% of Russia's uh, shows were in the U.S., I think like 20% in the Great White North and the rest uh, Europe and South America. And uh, as I was pulling all this data together, I was working with John, who runs the CygnusX1.net website, and we're pulling together tour maps that I now have to go and repair and fix all up again with some new data. So, you know, this is kind of a summary of all those tour maps that we pulled together. And it looks like each, each of these lines is one concert? Uh, no, so each, each of the lines on the left is a rush tour. So, right. you know, the early gigs all the way to our 40. So, um, uh, each of the lines that starts on the left is, you know, all the, all the gigs in one tour. And then, you know, those lines connect over to the country on the right. So you can see in, in the U S you know, how much, so about 50% of the rush tour gigs went to the U S and almost all of the R 40 gigs went over to the U S and you can see which tours, you know, when did they hit the United Kingdom? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then lonely old Brazil up at the top, just a few gigs towards <laughs> yeah. the end of the career. All right. But those, of course, were two of the most amazing shows that they did. Or how many how many shows did they do in Brazil? For the concert, I think they yeah. did two. They did two, yeah. I mean, those shows were just amazing. Is, and, that, the, is that the show you guys wish you would have been able to see? Oh, Russian, Russian Rio? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. I would think so, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think... I, I still, you know, Hold Your Fire is my favorite album. I would have killed to have seen Prime Mover live. But uh, other than that, I think the, the gig down in Brazil would have been special. Yeah. Just just the the fact that the fans were just going crazy. Crazy yeah. for yeah, Rush. That would have been great. Amazing, really. Um, so the, the next graph we wanted to talk about was on the road, off the road. Now, why did you choose this particular graph for the, the touring and production I knew that I, you know, I'd, I'd seen a lot of other data visualization gurus use this graph. It's called the sunburst. And I was like, what? For, you know, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what aspect of rush um, would make sense to show with this, with this graph that's called the sunburst. And I was working through the production history, trying to figure out, and this was really hard, trying to figure out, you know, how much time did they spend writing versus uh, recording um, versus, you know, they spent six years of gig days, I actually think about that. Six years of their lives uh, were were days where they had concerts, and so I started looking at at the whole, you know, the entirety of the 47 years that that the boys were playing, 
and uh, you know this graph popped up. It's one of the ones you know I just like the elegant um, graphic design of it. You know you can see they spent uh, about 19 years on the road and about 19 years downtime. Uh, although for Rush it probably wasn't downtime because they spent nine years doing production. Uh, so I just I, I loved how this showed the relative breakdown. You know the fact that they spent 13 years traveling. Um, yeah. So they had, they had those six years of gigs, and they also spent 13 years on the road, away from their family, um, on days where they never played a show. Think wow. about that: 13 years in hotels or in the RV or in the back of the car—just crazy. I mean, I mean, this this shows the dedication to me of of what they did in the pursuit of their dreams. Just just amazing. Yeah, it, it is incredible. Really is. It, it reminds me of you. You ever see graphs that tells you how long you've been sleeping in your life? You, know, you spend <laughs> exactly. You know, you spend. I spent that much, that many years sleeping. That's crazy. <laughs> really is. So, um, the next graph we wanted to talk about is the Rush set lists, which is a, a spaghetti graph. Is that what you call this, John? Yeah, this is. It, it's just like a circular plot. Um, uh, I love this one. It's super complicated. But, yeah, I was going to say, um, you, it's going to need a lot of explanation. Yeah. So if you ignore all the, you know, there's, there's you know, three concentric rings around the outside. But to, to understand this graph, you know, starting up at the top, uh, I had to put a, a character of the alphabet in front of each album to get them in the right chronological order. But starting up at the top, the Rush album's in red, and you go counterclockwise, you know, get over to moving pictures, it's green. And by the time you get into... Um, R30 and Snakes and Arrows. So each of these is a is an album and a tour. And if you look at moving pictures, so it's kind of at the, I don't know, 7.30 or 8 o'clock position on the clock, you can see, if you look at the inner numbers, there's a counter that goes up to 90. And so the first 70, um, there's 70 songs in green that leave moving pictures and go out to other tours. Oh, wow. So, so 70 songs, 70 different times a song from Moving Pictures was played on another tour. So if you look at the biggest kind of connector from Moving Pictures, it goes zooms right over up to Time Machine up at about 1 o'clock because they played Moving Pictures in its entirety. Right, right. And then there's another smaller group of songs between the number 70 and 90. It's actually 92. Those are the songs from other albums that were played on the Moving Pictures tour. So you can see, you know, there's a line that comes from Rush because they played a couple songs off the Rush album. Um, there's, you know, a drum solo and a cover that they played. Um, and so it, it just shows um, how each album carried forward, um, you know, how much of each album they played on the, the tour for that album. And as you kind of go around clockwise, you can see each album throwing its influence forward to other albums. And you can see, you know, if you look up at Clockwork Angels, just how much of the Clockwork Angels set list obviously was Clockwork Angels. And you can start to see little curious graphs, like, you know, they didn't play anything. If you look at A Farewell to Kings, it's yellow. There's a huge gap, um, you know, between R30 and between uh, when they finished up with R40. They didn't play anything from Farewell to Kings. So you can kind of see, you know, sometimes it's the empty spaces that catch your, catch your eye. And, and you're, you can just see the, you know, how they constructed their set lists and which albums got played on which tour. So this is a really dense graphic. I like it because it, um, it's colorful and you first look at it and you're like, what the heck is this? But you start to get into it and you're like, oh yeah, this is okay. The live albums, you know, only the live album tours only had songs from the previous album. So it's, it's just fun to get into. I actually, um, uh, was looking at this 
the other day and I'm like, oh, I missed different stages. But then I remembered that was just an album, not a tour. So uh, <laughs> I actually think this one's pretty correct. Now, how, how long does it take you to compile, for instance, this particular graph? How long did this take to, to put together? Um, the first cut through probably three or four hours. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, uh, a lot of the later tours had incredibly variable set lists. You know, early on they had a set list and pretty much that was it for the tour. You know, later on, they started to have an A set list and a B set list. Um, so if you went down the rabbit hole and for 2,200 gigs tried to really graph out exactly what they were up to any given night, I mean, that would take you forever. So, you know, I was just working with the average set list and developing it. So I'd say this one probably took three or four hours all in. Wow. The next graph we were going to talk about, Jared. Yeah, is the, is the one from the Twitter polls about the top 20 Rush songs, and then the favorite album. This actually surprised me. Number one, La Villa Strangiato for the top song. Yeah, I found that interesting as well. And it was by quite a margin as well, if I remember. Yeah, definitely. Now, did you do these Twitter polls, John, or were these uh, polls that other, other people on Twitter had done? No, I asked everyone to post their top 20. And so, um, and I was just lucky. I mean, at the time... I think even Eddie Trunk from the Metal Show, he had posted his top 20 Rush songs. So it was just um, ended up with, with 74 different people. So like 1,480 songs um, that were posted up and it's a pretty good sample size. And uh, it was just interesting to see the, the things that were common. And then, of course, there was uh, a bunch of songs that nobody picked. Such as? <laughs> uh, we need we need to know yeah, this. This is important. Of these. <laughs> Jerry lo- Jerry wants to guess one. Go ahead, Jerry. What? That's not a favorite song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cut to the chase. <laughs> that's not one. Of them. Uh, no. Cut, cut to the chase was picked. Um, uh, Jerry would guess Ty Shan is what I'm oh, guessing. Oh, that's what you're gonna say. Yeah. Ty Shan was not picked. So yeah. nobody, you know, out of those 74 people, nobody had Ty Shan. Um, Madrigal. I think I'm going bald. Uh, BU two B two, you know that minute and twenty eight. Right, right. Song nobody picked that. I mean, the ones that surprised me is nobody picked out of the cradle. Really? I'm like, eh, some, you'd think somebody would like that. Nobody picked half the world. Really? Out of seventy four people, that's that is interesting. Yeah, and no one picked hand over fist off Presto. That was the only song off Presto that oh. didn't get picked. See, that would have been in my top twenty, I think. Yeah, I would have picked. It was fun just to see the the flame wars when you when you post your top twenty. I mean, Rush fans are so varied, and uh, you post your top twenty. It's it's cool to see you know how many different kinds of Rush fans there are. Now, how many people would you have preferred to to poll to get super accurate data on something like this? I mean, how many how many people do you think you need to poll for something like this to for the data to be pretty much dead on accurate? You think? you think 74 is enough? Would you have preferred more? Well, I, I, I was happy after 74 because it was pretty obvious what the top 20 were. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, to be statistically significant, I mean, there's millions of Rush fans. So you need thousands, you'd need thousands of people for you to actually say this was accurate. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other fun thing here. I mean, you know, probably none of these graphs are correct. Some of them are probably almost correct, but... You know, especially opinions. I mean, they are what they are, but, right. you know, I wouldn't say that this is, you know, that this is the Rush fan base's top 20 of <laughs> 74 people, but I, I, I'm not interested in compiling thousands of votes either. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true too. No, I was just, I was just thinking at some point, it probably, does, the data doesn't change too much. 
you know, once you get yeah. to a, a thousand people, let's say, you know, if you add another hundred, how much does that change the graph? Not much, probably. No. And it was cool that, you know, to see which albums they came for, came from, obviously, you know, moving pictures, um, everyone's favorite album, and then Permanent Waves, Signals, Hemispheres, Farewell to Kings, um, and good old Test for Echo at the back of the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that, that there are five songs from Moving Pictures in the top 20, and that was the next graph, favorite album, Moving Pictures, is was the clear winner for that, too. Yeah, I mean, what, 10 times, ten over 10 times more popular than Test for Echo. That's, that just shows what a, what a singular achievement that album was. Like Steve and I always say, something has to be at the bottom of any list. I'm surprised that uh, Caress of Steel is as low as it is. Yeah. I don't know why. Vapor Trails, too. I thought that was a strong, yeah. strong album yeah, for, for what it meant to Russia's career. That's down there. Uh, Roll the Bones, you know, I think you look at a lot of the critical reviews of Roll the Bones, you know, it would be much higher. But Rush fans, obviously, you know, they throw their chips in with, with, the, with the big guns like Signals <laughs> and Permanent Waves and Kings and Hemispheres. Yeah. Now, John, are there any other graphs here that um, you you sent us a whole bunch uh, that are? What's your personal favorite graph that you've done among the ones you you shot over to us? Um, I, I think it's actually that albums and tours graph. Just when I when I first did that one and started digging into it, I mean, it looks like a total spaghetti bomb, but you know, so <laughs> far I think that's my so far I think that's my favorite. What's your ultimate goal here? I mean, do you just want to? continue having fun making these graphs and posting them on Twitter or is there something else you're, you're striving toward? You know, I, I kick around the idea of, of, you know, could you do a coffee table book out of this and, and would it, you know, uh, would it be interesting? You know, for now, um, my goodness, there's still so much data work to be done. You know, for the next, you know, number of years, I couldn't even imagine doing anything more than just trying to refine it and improve the graphic designs and, you know, dig into the data some more. Um, I haven't done anything on Alex's guitars yet. I kind of analyzed Getty's basses to death, and I'm working on Neil's drum kit evolution over time. But uh, at some point, you know, even if it's just something for my own enjoyment, I can see uh, trying to capture and really polish up. Uh, cause they're, they're still pretty rough. I can handle the data, but I'm not a graphic designer. You know, I think a lot of these could really be made to look even even better than they are now. So I don't know. For now, I'm just having fun and having fun posting it and uh, seeing what uh, what questions and conversations the graphs can kick off and what controversies you can stir up. So for now, I'm just having fun finding the data and, and pulling it all together. So is there any particular set of data that, that you want but are unable to get? Something you wanted to put a graph together about, but the data just doesn't exist for you? Oh, I think the mother loads up in Toronto at, you know, SRO and Anthem. I mean, those, you know, that would be, you know, the data they would have on the band. Obviously, it just eclipses anything that's out there in the public space. So, Anything in particular, though, that, that you'd want? I think the, you know, the, the business side of it would be fascinating to me. The technical side of it, you know, I've tried to identify, you know, their, their lighting their lighting director is a genius. And, you know, I've tried to figure out, you know, how much, you know, how did the lighting show evolve over time? And you can get good data points from some tours, but, you know, the production of it, the, the business side of it, um, you know, they've got all the accurate sales data. I mean, they just, they've got it all. So, uh, you know, I think I'm just sketching around the edges 
in terms of what could be done with all that data. I've got one more. I, I, I had to ask about this other graph, um, Rush and the antonyms, Neil's opposites. Did you see this one, uh, yeah, Jared? Yeah, I did. This one was cool. How did you compile this data? I mean, did you go through all the Rush lyrics and count how many times Neil used the word more versus less or love versus hate, even versus odd? How did this come about? No, that's so. So I've got the I've got this lyrics master file that I've developed, and you know, I mean, the initial thought was, you know, I, I see Neil's lyrics as you know generally very positive, and I'm like, okay, you know, can I look into the lyrics and see, you know, did he talk about more positive topics? Did he use more positive words than negative words? And you can really see that pop out um, when I started looking at some of the op- the pairs of opposites. So it was fun to just go through and. You know, you just do search and replace. It's pretty easy. You just you know, that probably took an hour to do that graph. Oh yeah. Once you have the lyrics pulled together, but you know, it it, it reveals a little bit about Neil that otherwise you wouldn't see. You know, we we know the songs, we know the lyrics, but to actually sit down and say, okay, is this guy positive or is he more of a pessimist? I think it's one little window into the man. Absolutely. Uh, any thoughts? On, I mean, Neil passed away recently. Any thoughts on, on Neil's passing? How how did you feel when you heard the news? Just staggered. I think like all of us, it was like, like literally like we lost a family member. I, I, it was just a, a moment where a friend texted me and I stopped. And for the rest of the day, I was just literally blown apart. And I think that happened to a lot of us. And, you know, celebrities pass away all the time and I had no idea how much he meant to me until that day. And I suspect that's true for a lot of us. So it, uh, it was a hard day. I'm sure it was the same for you guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was no question. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You can find John's graphs on Twitter at X Y Y Z graphs on Twitter. That's a great Twitter handle. And, um, John, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy your podcast. You guys are doing great work. Oh, thanks. So as always, I don't know how we do it, Jared. We we find interesting people to talk to on the podcast. How do we do it? I don't know. I don't know. John we, is a smart guy. Yeah. We and ask and people are like, sure. We're digging to find the smart Rush fans out there and we're finding them yeah. and bringing them to you. It's cool. Yeah. But uh, John's an engineer. That's crazy. I mean, just the fact that he's able to do all that math and all, all that. Yeah data compilation i right. would not have the patience for that no i can't even put together like a supermarket list it's difficult for me so what we're go- what we'll do is we'll we'll take those graphs that we talked about and we'll post them on twitter and you can put them up on instagram oh yeah and as you listen to the podcast you can find the graphs yeah and play along with us <laughs> yeah but uh john's an interesting guy and uh, very cool yeah it was great very cool so we totally forgot, Jared, that John wanted to do the quote at the end of today's podcast. I know, thankfully. Thankfully, taking, because you didn't have one, no, as usual. Yeah, taking the mantle away so, from me. So, John, the floor is yours. What's your quote All for right. today? All right. This is my life motto. It's a Rush lyric. It's from Neil. Anything can happen. Ah, there we go. Prime mover. Nice. Perfect. Take it easy. All right, see you.